Again, welcome. We're glad you are here. Uh, we have been in a series in Second Thessalonians talking about the end of days, the end times, uh, thinking about Jesus's return. And last week, Jeff Kinley was here, uh, and he gave a message about the end times and, and where we might see the, the United States in the end. And it was, it was a fascinating thought. Uh, and this week, uh, Pastor Matt is on vacation uh, before this fall starts and before the big kickoff. And so uh, he asked me to kind of continue in this thought process of the end times. And he said, Justin, I want you to, I want you to teach a, a sermon on leaving a legacy. Because uh, re- regardless of, of what your thoughts on the last times are, uh, you and I are not going to be here forever. Amen. Right? And so... Uh, we're, this, this morning, we're going to think about what does it mean to leave a legacy? What does it mean to leave a godly legacy? What does it mean to leave a legacy that glorifies God? And so just I want you to take a moment, take 10 seconds, and think about what is the most important thing for you to pass on to the next generation? If you were to ask people outside of the church building what the most important thing for the next generation to know, some would say history, right? Where we have come from so that we don't repeat it. Some would say, why we do what we do, you know, those are important things. If you were to ask people outside this building, some might say the most important thing to leave to the next generation is an earth that will last. Some will say uh, to leave the next generation not a massive debt that they can't repay, right? These are the things that the world might say is good and important to leave to the next generation. Some would argue the most important thing to give to the next generation is peace, Maybe peace in this world or, or maybe internal peace. Maybe some people would say the most important thing to leave to the next generation is the freedom to live however they want. What about you and your family? Have you thought about this? What is the most important thing for you to leave your family? Again, some people might say a, a financial freedom or financial inheritance. Some would say independence, the ability to, to live on their own. Some might say, uh, a fun childhood, that is the best thing I can give my family, my kids, is a fun childhood that they will look back on and smile. Some might say a good education, set them up for success in this world so they can go and thrive and and make a living and be an upstanding citizen in in this world, in this country. And the list can go on and on, uh, but the the thought of this legacy, what, what is important to pass on to the next generation it's important to see that everybody has their own kind of way of looking at it, of developing a system of what is important to them to pass on to the next generation. But there's an old saying that rings true on this topic this morning. There is a a beginning date that each of us had that we didn't control. There's a birthday that you didn't control, you didn't dictate when you came into this world, and on your headstone there will be an end date that you didn't control either. And as people look at your tombstone, as they look at your headstone, they see a a birthday and a death day. But you will be remembered for what happened in the middle. You'll be remembered with how you lived your life. Leaving a legacy is not a choice. Being remembered is not a choice. The way you lived, people will remember you. People will have thoughts and and comments about how you lived your life and the impact that you had on their life. When we talk about legacy, some people think of an inheritance or a financial security. 
that one person leaves to another. When we talk about legacy, some people think about a, a family heirloom that is passed down or, or some remarkable, grandiose uh, uh, deed that is done, and they think, that's my legacy. But today, I want to look at Scripture, what Scripture has in mind when we think about legacy. Because instead of thinking about legacy as what we're leaving behind, we want to think about legacy as the impact that we have made. And this shift is vitally important when we think about legacy because legacy is less about what you leave and more about the impact you had. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. And, and we, we have been going through 2 Thessalonians, the Lord will return and, and if he tarries, if he, he prolongs his return, then each and every one of us in a hundred years will not be here. And so at the end of your life, what are the thoughts that you might think about? What are the things that are going to be playing on in your mind? Is it going to be, I wish I had more money? Is it going to be, I wish I played more golf? Maybe. No, just kidding. It's not going to be that. What are the thoughts that are going to ring true in your mind as you think back and reflect upon your life? I imagine it's going to be the real regrets. The real regrets of, oh man, I wish I spent more time with my kids. Oh man, I wish I didn't spend all those late nights at the office. Man, I wish I balanced my, my relationship with Jesus and, 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 and really focused in on that and my kids' relationship with Jesus and my family's relationship with Jesus. Uh, man, I wish I spent more time focusing on the important things of life. Here is something that we all have to wrestle with, and it's the truth that leaving a legacy is not a choice. People will have words and thoughts about you and about how you lived your life uh, at the end of your life. And so what is your legacy? Today, our main thought, the main thing that I want you to, to, to wrap your mind around, to, to comprehend, to grasp, and to leave this place on fire for living for Jesus is this. It's leaving a legacy that, glorify, that glorifies God makes an impact for God. Everything else is futile. The amount of money that's in your bank account, the, even the amount of, uh, of good things that you've done in this world, whether it be building buildings or, or, or uh, coming to church every week. The, the, the true measure of a legacy is the impact that we have for the kingdom of God in every aspect of our life. It's amazing if we read through the Old Testament, if we read through the Bible, we see how God uses all sorts of people for his purpose, for his will. If you just look at Hebrews chapter 11, this great chapter of the hall of faith, and you see as, he, as the author of Hebrews highlights the faith that these people had, the Old Testament saints had, and he highlights what they did and, and how they believed Jesus and trusted Jesus. But if you look at each one of their lives, you see that every single one of them made lots of mistakes. It, this was a, a motley crew throughout history of, G, uh, of God choosing and using people for his kingdom, for his glory. Let me just highlight a couple of them, right? Noah. Noah, he built an ark, and, and God saved him and his family from the judgment waters of the flood, right? You know the story of Noah. After the water, waters subsided, Noah builds a vineyard, uh, and he gets drunk. 
That's like one of the first things he does. And you think, what was that decision, Noah? That wasn't a good decision. What are you doing? Think of Abraham. Abraham, God's chosen one who he's going to make a nation out of. Believed God, moved his city, moved his family. He followed God, right? Well, he lied often about his wife, Sarah. He, he kind of used Sarah and, and lied about her, trying to save his own skin a few times, we read in Scripture. Think about Jacob. Jacob was a swindler, and he played favorites with his kids. Joseph, he gave a, a coat of many colors, right? And he, he favored Joseph over the other kids. What is that about? Moses had an anger issue, and he murdered someone. Gideon doubted. Samson was prideful and arrogant, thinking he was stronger and smarter than God. Samson is a funny case study because as you look at Samson's life, I love asking kids like who their favorite characters are, and they often will say Samson because he's strong and it, you know, he, there's cool stories about him. But if you read the story of Samson, he is not a good role model, right? David was an adulterer and a murderer. I mean, think of all these Old Testament heroes of the faith. They made countless mistakes. We talk about legacy. These guys are not good examples. However, they're commended for their faith. They're commended not for their mistakes, but for their love of Jesus and their belief in what he says he was going to do. And moving forward this morning, I I want us to think about three things uh, that should define our legacy. Three things that as we think about us making an impact for God, three things that that should really define it. Because there's so many things that it could be. We could could spend countless hours thinking through these things, but I think these three kind of sum up the rest of them. Because if you're like me, I am very glad that my life will not be uh, remembered by my mistakes. I'm very glad that God uses people who are not perfect. Because if God used people that were perfect, not a single one of us would be used, right? I mean, I'm talking to myself here. I really wish there was a mirror right in the front row that there's a constant reflection, right? But God uses broken people. God uses people in spite of their mistakes. And he fills us with his spirit. And he gives us an identity. He gives us a purpose, and that purpose is to go make disciples of all nations. Thinking about your legacy is not just for those at the end of your life, though. Thinking about our legacy is not just for those who have spent, uh, you know, 80, 90, 100 years on this earth, and we think back and we look, reflect upon our life and we think about the impact we've made. Thinking about a legacy, this is for the mom who has three little ones at home, and, and this mom is just overwhelmed by the word mom right? Used with little kids, you understand the word mom is used on a repetitive basis, right? Constantly. This mom might be overwhelmed, lonely, and struggling with purpose. Thinking about legacy, this is for the dad who is staying up at night wondering how the bills are all going to get paid and the inflation rates and all this crazy chaos in this world and, and worrying about their family and the future of their kids. Thinking about a legacy is for the, the single person who, who is struggling with being content in their singleness and wondering, am I ever going to meet a spouse? And if I don't meet a spouse, how am I going to stay content being single? 
thinking about our legacy is for the grandparent who longs to see their grandchildren come to know Jesus. This is for the parent who, whose kids might have walked away from the church or walked away from Jesus, and they long to see them come back. Leaving a legacy is not a choice. Having an impact on those around you starts right now. I don't care if you're seven or 77. Thinking about your legacy, thinking about the impact you're going to have on the people around you for God starts right now. And there's three things that I want us to draw our attention to this morning as we think about leaving a legacy that glorifies God, that makes an impact for God. And the first thing that I want us to think about this morning is a gospel impact. Throughout the scriptures, we see over and over again uh, the, the truth that we are to pass on to the next generation, the truth about who God is and what he has done through his son Jesus on the cross. A couple verses to highlight this, Deuteronomy chapter 6 It says this, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Psalm 78 verse 4 says, We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might the wonders that he has done. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And some of you might be saying, well, that's great, but I'm not a parent. Okay, great. Matthew 28, the great commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nation. That should cover all of you, right? We're, we're, we're not off the hook. Everybody has is, is been commissioned by Jesus to go and to make disciples, teaching them all that God has commanded them, to pass on, to have an impact in the, the lives of those around them for the kingdom of heaven. Now, for those who, who have kids, sorry, I'm, a, I'm the children's pastor here. I don't know if I said that, but so uh, I, I have this, this heart for kids because the, there are a hundred kids meeting right now in the building just, just around the corner. And the, the greatest population in the church that does not know Jesus is over there. It's the kids' ministry. And so if you have kids, you are on the front lines. If you have grandkids, you are on the front lines. If you know kids, you are on the front lines. If you're a teacher, you can, you can have an impact for the world, for the, for the kingdom of heaven, for this next generation. And I know many of you, you would give your life to save your kid. You would stand in front of a car and pull them out of the way. You would take a bullet. You would even uh, push them and take, take the hit yourself. But the reality is we cannot save our kids. I have a one-year-old. She's about yay tall. She's very cute. But I cannot save her. No matter how much I love her, I cannot transform her, her heart but I can make an impact on her life. I can make a gospel impact. There's three areas that I want us to look at this morning. Letter A is the first way to make a gospel impact is to have real faith. Going to church, not faith. You can go to church every Sunday. That's not faith. You can serve in Sunday school. That's not faith. You can read your Bible every day and raise your hands in worship. That's not faith. 
Those are just actions. Those are motions. You can be sitting in this church. You, have, you, have, you could have been coming to this church for 50 years and not know Jesus. Real faith is knowledge, agreement, and trust. And it's these three elements that make up faith that lead to a transformation of heart that deepens as we grow in our understanding and knowledge of who Jesus is. You've heard it quoted from James where he says, faith without works is dead. And what he's saying is if if you really have faith, then your life will match that. You can't have faith without works. Faith is, is lived out in how we live. Think about Think about Paul, wrote 13 books of the New Testament, right? He was known as Saul before that. He was a Pharisee. He was a persecutor of the church. He hated Jesus. And then one day on the road to Damascus, he had a transformational interaction with Jesus. Jesus blinded him, presented himself, revealed himself to Paul, to Saul. said, why are you persecuting me? And forever, Paul's life was transformed by that encounter. His eyes were opened. His heart was transformed. He went from from hating the church, persecuting the church, to establishing it. Going throughout the the known world and, and planting churches. He went from persecuting Christians and throwing them in jail to discipling them. He he had a life transformation. All too often in our Western Christianized world, we, we use Jesus as an add-on. How many of you use Amazon? You use Amazon? You buy something and then something else pops up and it says, would you like to add this on to your, your order, right? Like you just bought this toy for your daughter. Do you need batteries? And you're like, oh yeah, I do, thanks. And we use Jesus as this idea of an add-on, like, oh, Jesus would make my life a little bit better in this area. I like the community of church. I like the morals of church. So I'm going to use Jesus as an add-on to my life. That's not faith. If you're going to have a gospel impact on those around you, you first have to let the gospel have an impact on your heart. The second area of this is to know Jesus. Letter B is to know Jesus. First is to have real faith. Second is to know Jesus. These two ideas are very, very similar, but one, having real faith. Faith can be a little bit conceptual of an idea. And so I like to phrase it in this way of to know Jesus. All too often, we treat Jesus, we treat our faith like we treat the President of the United States. He's a real person. He is the president, but I do not know him. I know who he is. I know where he is. I know what he's doing sometimes, but I don't know him. All too often, we treat Jesus in that same way. Yeah, I believe that he's the son of God. Yeah, I believe that he's the the savior, but is he your savior? Do you know him personally? This is what Jesus was talking about at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. These are people who recognize who Jesus is. They know who he is. They know his title. He says, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty good many works in your name? 
These are the people who, who did the religious activities. They did the things. They, they did things for Jesus. But look what he says in verse 23. He says, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you, work, you workers of lawlessness. It's more than just knowing things about Jesus. It's more than just coming to church and sitting in a sanctuary, a, a nice air-conditioned sanctuary as we escape the heat of Memphis, right? It's more than just having a, a preacher come up here and tickle your ears and give you some encouraging thought, and then you leave and you go live your life, and Jesus is just an add-on. It's something you do Sunday morning for an hour and a half. Do you know him? Is he your personal Lord and Savior? The third element of having a gospel impact is to live it out. Have real faith, which is developed and deepened through a relationship with Jesus, which then will play itself out in our life. Living out our faith is the best way to have a gospel impact in those around you because you are taking Jesus everywhere you go. Your words are seasoned with grace and truth. People are encouraged by you as you, as you come into the room. You, you lift people's spirits. You point them to Jesus. They feel loved and cared for. Having a gospel impact in the lives of people around you. Think about your week. Think about everybody that you come in contact with, whether it's family members, coworkers, siblings, cousins, neighbors, friends. Think about all the people you rub shoulders with. How are you making an impact in their life for Christ? How are you sharing the love of Jesus with them? It could be a simple card with a gift card and an encouraging note. It could be going over to somebody's house and sharing a cup of coffee and, 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 and sharing an encouraging thought. Or it could be going, to, going out to lunch with a coworker and, and, and encouraging them to do the right thing. It could be taking your son or daughter out for, for dinner, just you and them, and, and talking about life and, and what's to come and, and their relationship with Jesus. Not making Jesus weird, but making Jesus like in every part of life. The first thing that you want to think about, about a legacy that honors and glorifies God, is this gospel impact. How is your life impacting those around you for the kingdom of heaven? How is your life discipling those around you? Maybe it's in children's ministry and you want to serve and you want to hold babies and, and love them. That's great. Maybe it's in youth ministry and you want to be a disciple to junior high boys. God bless you. <laughs> I was a youth pastor for many years and the thing I said to, to the, the junior high leaders was, you are making an impact on their life they don't even know about. I got a text this last week from a, a, a student of mine, and he, he texted me last Sunday saying that he just got baptized. And he wanted to encourage me about the impact I had on his life. And I thought, man, that is so... Like, at the time, you think junior high boys, in one ear, out another. Like, that's what you think. But over time and countless interactions and, and just constant love and, and just playing fun games with them and throwing dodgeballs at their face. You make an impact. The second thing that, about leaving a legacy that honors and glorifies God, that makes an impact for God, number two on your notes, is faithfulness. Doing the next 
right thing. Faithfulness is a fruit of our relationship with Jesus. It's a fruit of the Spirit, which means the fullness of what faithfulness is is found in who God is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. The, 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 the culmination, the, the true sense of what these character traits, what these attributes are, is found in who God is. I think our world is lacking faithfulness. I think our world is fickle. We don't commit. And when we do, when something better comes along, we just kind of jump ship and go somewhere else. I want to look at three areas of our life that, that our, our life ought to, 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 to drive towards this faithful lifestyle. And it's three areas, word, action, and thought. Number, letter A, faithfulness in our word. Do we have a word that is honest? Do we speak with integrity? Do we say what we mean and mean what we say? Proverbs 12:22 says lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delights. Look at the contrast in that verse. Look at the difference. It doesn't say lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who speak truth are his delight. No, it connects our words with our actions of faithfulness, of following through. Not just saying it, but meaning it and doing it. Throughout Scripture, we see that God forbids lying, that that He Himself cannot lie. There's no deceit. There's no darkness in Him. We find the fullness of of God's character as He demands this moral righteousness, this truthfulness, this integrity of speech on us. That's what He demands of us, to be truthful, to speak the truth in grace. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 says, Therefore, having put, put away all falsehood, Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Colossians 3.9 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off your old self with its practices. Honesty and integrity of speech are markers of the Christian life because they reflect the character of God. May we have the resolve as Job. In Job chapter 27, verse 3 and 4, he says, As long as my breath is in me and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils, my lips will not speak falsehood, and my tongue will not utter deceit. This type of faithfulness in our words, this type of honesty in when we speak, it's not the honesty of like the brutal honesty that like you're saying it to hurt someone. That's not what we're talking about. Though sometimes when we say, speak the truth, it can be hurtful. But we even say those parts with grace and truth and love. But this type of honesty in our words is, is, honest, is speaking with integrity. Not distorting or manipulating the truth. The second area that we ought to demonstrate faithfulness in our life is our actions. It goes hand in hand with our words. It's dependability. Are you dependable? When you say what you say, are you going to carry through with it? Proverbs 10 verse 26 says, Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. Anybody have smoke go in your eyes when you're starting a fire and you're blowing on it and then all of a sudden this like billow of smoke comes in your eyes and it almost causes you to fall over because it's repulsive? That type of idea, right? Right? 
vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. Because he's not dependable. It's repulsive. Why do you ask somebody to go do something that they're not going to go do? That's repulsive. Uh, it's, to put it another way, one author put it this way, dependability has taken a back seat to personal desire and convenience. Our words, what we say, what we do, how we speak, we don't commit to anything. We think, well, I might do that or I might do that or something better might come up, so I just kind of leave my options open and vague, and so I don't commit, I don't say anything, I'm not faithful in what I say I'm going to do, and so we just kind of live in this vagueness. Young adults are, are notoriously bad at this, right? College-age students, they're like, I want to know the best thing that I can do with my time, and if the best thing comes up in the last minute, then I'm going to drop everything that I've already committed to, and I'm going to go do that. Well, we give college students a hard rap, but you and I are no different. We let our personal desires and our convenience dictate how we live. One of the best ways to think about our dependability is ask your spouse. Ask your spouse, am I reliable? Am I dependable? When I say I'm going to do something, do I do it? Ask them. Tell them to be honest with you. Ask your kids, ask your, ask your coworkers. Am I trustworthy with what I say I'm going to do? Do I do it? We can probably all grow in this area. But the faithfulness of God is played out in our life because God is faithful to everything he says. Every promise he's ever made, he has completed. And every promise that he hasn't completed yet, he will. Think about all the prophecies in the Old Testament and the coming of Jesus and the, the Savior of the world and, and now all the prophecies about the end times and what's coming. God's going to bring it about. The third area of our life in which faithfulness is displayed and leaves a legacy that glorifies God and makes an impact for God is, is faithfulness in thought. This is Loyalty. Think about, I think the best way to describe this is, is loyalty of a friend. As we think about those around us and, and, and how often, how often is it so easy for us to, to see an action of a friend and then just kind of write them off? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 7 talks about love. And I want you to think about this, these verses as I read them about our, our loyalty of thought, our faithfulness in thought to our friends, to the church. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This type of love is the, the, the love that sticks closely to a friend. We've all had friends who are fair weather friends. Have you had fair weather friends? These types of friends that kind of stick around and, and get something out of you, but then when, when, actu when you actually need them, they're nowhere to be found. Have you had these? Do I just have bad friends? No? Is this, is this? Okay, good. Just making sure you're all paying attention. Right? But as soon as you need them, they're not there. You can't rely on them. I think one of the best examples of, of loyalty of thought, of, of being a good friend, is that of David and Jonathan. 
If you read the story of David and Jonathan, this story is crazy. It says that, it says that uh, David and Jonathan, their hearts were knit together. Their souls were knit together. They were of one mind. They were, they were so close. They were closer than brothers. But do you know what it meant for Jonathan to be loyal to David? It meant that Jonathan had to, to give up the throne of Israel. Jonathan was the son of Saul, the first king of Israel. And you know that the, the kingship, the lineage would be passed from one king to their son to the next to the next, right? David reject, or, uh, God rejects Saul as the king of Israel and, and anoints David. So Jonathan, he's got this, this moment of crisis of, if I'm loyal to my friend David, then that means I have to give up of my spot as the king. And he does. He's loyal to his friend. He helps David escape Saul when Saul was trying to kill him. David, Jonathan was, was loyal to David. And as we think about this thought of faithfulness to our friends, faithfulness in thought, I think the best way to describe it is to live out the one another's of Scripture. If you were to read through the Scriptures and you were to just highlight all of the things that, that God commands us to do to one another, to the church, there, there, there's over 50 different commands that you and I ought to be doing to one another. But just think about these as I read through them. It would take weeks to, to unpack each of these. So I just want you to just, just hear them. We're to love one another. We're to be devoted to one another, honor one another, live in harmony with one another, build up one another, admonish one another, care for, serve, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, be patient with one another, be kind and compassionate, teach one another, comfort one another, encourage, exhort, pray for one another. Confess your faults to one another. Faithfulness is displayed not only in our words of being honest and our actions of being dependable, but also in our thoughts being loyal to our friends and living out the one another's of Scripture. Proverbs says, as one man, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's what this faithfulness of thought is. It's this, this striving together as we strive towards Christ, which leaves a lasting legacy because it leaves an impact for God. Third and finally on your notes, a legacy that glorifies God and makes an impact for God is heavenly-minded. It's a life that is heavenly-minded. In the New Testament, throughout the New Testament, there are, there are times where, where we shift from an earthly pursuit, an earthly attitude, and, and think about a, a heavenly purpose. On Tuesday mornings, I meet with a group of guys, and it's called Dad Shift. And it's a group of dads that we just meet to come together. And the idea is to shift from a, a worldly focus to a godly purpose. Because all too often as dads, we can focus too much on our jobs, our career, the bills, fun. And we need to shift and, and, and think, what is God calling us to as dads? What is God calling us to? And here, for the Christian, it, he, God is calling us to be heavenly-minded, Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, verse 20, he said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Paul said in Colossians 3, 2, set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. Jesus said to anticipate his return. Be ready for it. Be looking for it. Being heavenly minded is not just simply 
daydreaming about what heaven is going to be like. Being heavenly minded is putting Jesus at the center of your life and living every moment of every day wanting to pursue Christ's likeness and make an impact for Christ. I want you to take a moment and think about a bicycle tire. There might be a picture on the screen, a bicycle tire. Now, for most people, uh, their, their life as the bicycle tire, they put themselves in the center. Their purpose, their, their happiness, their desires, that's the center of the tire. And as they live their life, every spoke is connected to the center of their life, which is their happiness, their desires, their pursuits, and, and everything else is thought about through that lens. Sports, careers, hobbies, families, and even Jesus, it's just a spoke. And it's thought through of how does this spoke, how does this add-on connect with my happiness, my desires? And it just rolls, and that's, that's how most people live their life. Does it, does it make me happy? Does it fulfill my desires? And if it doesn't, then they get rid of it. But for the Christian, for the Christian, Jesus has to be the center. For the Christian, Jesus has to be the center of our life, and everything else has to be a spoke off of Jesus. My desires, my happiness, that's just a spoke. Jesus is the center. My hobbies, my, my career, my, my family, it's a spoke that's connected to Jesus. And as Jesus is, is, is the, the, the thrust of my life, as my wheel turns, everything else is connected to him. How do these spokes, how does this aspect of my life connect to Jesus? And some of us, we, we might have a spoke that is kind of contrary to Jesus. It's, it's kind of wonky. It's turned the wrong direction. It's like a stick in the bicycle. How many of you, be honest, how many of you when you were little, would you stick a, uh, stick a stick in a tire and watch your friend flip over the handlebars? Anybody do that? Anybody a bad person? Yeah, okay, good, good. Right? These are sins in our life. That's what it is. These are sins in our life where Jesus is, is wanting us to go further and deeper into who he is, but, but these things are impeding our progress. We're holding on to these sins and, and we're saying, God, I, I want you, but I want this also. Well, that's contrary. That, that's in conflict. It might be alcohol or, or drinking too much. It might be pornography or, or watching movies or TV shows that are just filthy garbage that corrupt and distort your mind. It might be anger or bitterness. It, it might be a, a, a litany of things, gluttony. It, it could be all sorts of, of different sins that are impeding your progress of, of pursuing Christ. That Jesus is saying, I, I want to remove that from your life confess it, repent of it. Let me take it away and, and cleanse you from it. Turn to Colossians chapter 3 with me. As we wrap up this morning, I want to look at this passage. And it's a long passage, so I want, I want you to put your eyes on it. Colossians chapter 3. Here in Colossians chapter 3, Paul is, is talking about the Christian life, and he's saying, if you're a Christian, then there, there is these two realities, one of your old self, your old life, and one of your new self. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse, 
in verse 1, it says this. If then you have been raised with Christ. So he's saying if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, then this is true. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your mind on things that are above, not on things of this earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off your old self with its practices, and you have put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or syncticin or slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, verse 12, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I think it would be a good practice to, to look at this verse and to write down on one side of a piece of paper, on one side of a box, a chart, all the things that this verse says to put to death. All the things that are, that are is our old self, put to death, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, falsehood. These are the things we have to put to death. And then on the other side, put, put on. What are the things that God is calling us to, to, to be conformed into the image of his son in? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, and above all, put on love, to be thankful, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And to put those things in your mirror, put those things in front of you, put those things in your Bible as you open, them, open your Bible each day and think about all the things in your life that you have to put off. Not as a list of, of, of things I have to do, but of, of I wanting a desire to live for Christ. 
The things in the column of put to death, these are contrary to God. These are against God. We have to repent of them, turn from them. John says in 1 John that when we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us. Being heavenly minded is to live for Christ, having your heart conformed to His, having your life revolve around Him. When we think about legacy, we sometimes think about this grand gesture that I'll be remembered by. Instead, we should think about the next right thing to do for Christ. Who really remembers who donates money to build some big building? But I will tell you that you remember every person who has an impact on your life. I remember my first grade teacher who led me to Christ. I remember a preschool teacher that, that I remember having so much fun and joy in the preschool Sunday school class. Her name was Teacher Peggy. I remember uh, my fourth grade Sunday school teacher. His name was Scott Becker. He was a construction worker. He built things. And I thought, man, this guy is, is so cool and he loves Jesus. And my youth pastor growing up, a man of the name by Andre, he had such a, a, an understanding of Scripture that I... I I was so taken aback that he, he could just flip through the scriptures and he knew where things were and he knew what God said and he knew his Bible. And I thought, man, that, I, I hope to be like that one day. And sometimes we don't see the impact that we have on people. I'm reminded of a story uh, of a young man walking along the beach, uh, the shores, and there's hundreds and thousands of starfish on the shores. It's early in the morning and the sun's rising and, and each one of those starfish is going to die soon under the heat of the sun. And this young man, this young boy, he is walking along the shores and he's taking up a starfish and he's chucking it back in the ocean. One by one, he's just taking one starfish at a time and he's just chucking it in the ocean. And this man comes and he sees him and he sees the, the, the countless starfish on the shores and he walks up to this young man and he says, you're, you're not going to make an impact. L look, like the sun's coming up, you're, you're not going to change what's going to happen to all these starfish. And he said, you're right. And he picked up another one, and he looked at it, and he said, but I can make an impact for this one. And he chucked it back in the ocean. We can't change the world, but you can have an impact for Christ right where you're at. You can have an impact in, in these kids' lives as, as we, we think about serving for, in children's ministry or, or student ministry. You can have an impact in, in helping teens and little ones understand who God is and what He has done through His Son on the cross. Are you living a life that is glorifying God, having a gospel impact on those around you, living a life of faithfulness, and having your mind set on things above. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your son. We thank you that he came to this earth to die on the cross for sinners. God, we thank you that you, from before the foundations of the world, had your children written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and you are, have decided and, and, and organized and, and commanded and dictated and 
and planned every aspect of this world for your glory. The cross was never plan B, it was always plan A. God, you have drawn your children to yourself. You have transformed their hearts. You have drawn them. You've you've saved them through your son. So God, I pray for this church this morning because you call each and every one of us to leave a legacy, to make an impact for your kingdom, not so that we can become famous, but God, so that you are glorified. Whether we're eating or drinking, may you be glorified in all that we do. God, no matter what we do, whether word or thought or action, may we do it in your name. God, we thank you that you are a good and gracious Father. God, may you be glorified through our life as we seek to leave a legacy that is an impact for your kingdom. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.